Welcome to Base Space. A crypto podcast. Base Space. So, hey everyone, uh, welcome to the Base Space. Uh, this is a crypto podcast hosted by myself, the Crypto Mewtwo. We also have my two co-hosts, Chase Coins and Super Hodge, joining me tonight. Uh, this this podcast, we focus on creating opportunities for growth, networking, and education in the crypto industry. Today, we have the honor of having Andy, creator of DGen Blues. So, welcome to the show, Andy. We're pumped to have you on. Hey, yeah. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Let's go. And, uh, Andy, it's tradition here, whenever we bring someone new on the space, to ask them how they got into crypto. We'd love to hear your story. Yeah, yeah, Totally. Well, you know, I think my first um, Bitcoin purchase was in, uh, you know, 2014 or so. Uh, and so I guess that was technically my first foray into crypto, um, you know, but was pretty much just hodling for a long time. Um, I minted my first crypto kitty in 2018. So I think it was my first NFT and, uh, you know, had kind of a, a glimmer of like understanding a, a little light bulb moment where I, you know, minted a crypto kitty on one website and went to a different website and I could see it there. And it was like, you know, Holy shit, this is, this is cool. Web three is one big distributed, you know, one big universal database kind of. Um, and uh, that's really where I started to, to, you know, where it started to click for me in terms of things being sort of default composable and default open on web three. Um, and so that was super exciting. And then, you know, since then, just been gradually getting more into it um, over time. And, you know, I'd say really seriously been delving into Web3 on the tech side for the last year, um, you know, dusting off my coding skills and uh, getting into Solidity and uh, creating DGEN Blues. So, so it's been a, a, you know, a slow burn over the last, like, you know, almost a decade. Oh, wow. And is, is DJ and Blues like your first official like Web3 project or have you built other other secret maybe Web3 projects that people don't know about? No, this is the first one. Uh, you know, I had a couple of aborted attempts at an NFT collection that I never actually launched. Just I was tinkering with some ideas. Uh, I had one around time travel that maybe I'll revisit sometime because I think it had some some fun things about it. But DJ and Blues is the first thing I've actually launched. Oh, that's super dope. No, this is, this is a really good place to, to get started in Web3 and kind of plant your flag, as you will. Um, I'm curious, like, what kind of made you take the leap, like, into Web3? Like, you know, you've helped co-found Google Street View and Uber Eats. Like, why, why kind of transfer out of Web2 and, and start working, you know, in the space? Yeah, uh, you know, it's a good question. I think um, <clears throat> I've always sort of struggled the line between design and engineering and art and uh, in, in DGEM Blues and in NFTs, I kind of see the culmination of a lot of things that have already always interested in me, right? And so, um, you know, working on this project, I kind of feel like I'm bringing my whole self and I've engaging, been engaging all the different parts of my brain in a way that, um, you know, nothing I've worked on before was quite able to do. Um, so I guess that's a big part of the appeal. And then, you know, <clears throat> more than that, I guess just I sensed that something really important was happening, right? Like the shift from web two to web three feels like one of the more important things that's happened technology wise in my life. And I, I kind of didn't want to be sitting on the sidelines for it. No, I feel you, man. It's, 
it's an exciting movement and like you can feel the momentum around this space right like there's so much innovation happening like literally every day there's probably i probably discovered like five or six new things right new projects that are popping up new, new use cases for this technology and it's just it's just super exciting to see you know everyone collaborating and and being so open and for me like when i worked at different web2 companies i just didn't find like the same uh, passion or um I guess, yeah, passion is probably the, uh, the word for it, uh, of people that just actually want to innovate and provide value. I don't know if you found the same. You know, it, it reminds me a lot of ways of the, the early days of, of the Internet. Um, I mean, well, or not the Internet, the early days of Web 1 and Web 2, I guess, where, it, you know, it still, like, still felt like it was possible for somebody, you know, doing kind of an indie project on a small scale to make a big impact because everyone's still getting to, learn the limits of the technology and what's possible and kind of hacking on things in interesting new ways. And, um, and yeah, that's just like a, that's a fun moment in any technology cycle when there's this sort of sense of opportunity and uh, this idea that just one person just hacking on something random can really make an impact. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's kind of the crazy part, I think. Cause like, I think Chase and super, like we've all seen, like we met people just over Twitter spaces and we were chatting and, you know, we were just regular people. And um, now we're friends with people that just started their own projects, right. That are, that are being, becoming successful in web three and are actually making an impact as, as a whole. Like even, even the show was just an organic idea for us to connect with friends. And now, now we've built this out to where it is. So uh, it's super cool to just see, um, like you were saying, just at the opportunity for everyday people to to level up. And I'm I'm curious now, like, how did you even come up with the idea for DJ and Blues? Like, have you always been a music fan? Yeah, you know, um, I've been, uh, you know, playing uh, piano and jazz music in particular, uh, going back to like middle school, I guess. I've always been a fan. Um, never done it really. Um, professionally i've been in a couple of of pretty small time bands over the years but um i think really the the inspiration for dj blues was more like looking at the nft landscape out there and being a little bit you know disappointed that so much of it was so skeuomorphic that so little of it felt really blockchain native right and i kind of found myself thinking okay well what can i do with this incredible medium which is smart contracts that couldn't be done, uh, you know, in any other medium. And of course, it's not like this is the first project to try to answer that question. But I felt that there was a gap in terms of, you know, art that responds to the world around it, right? Art that's data driven. Because when you look at, you know, generative art, and there's a lot of great generative art out there that I love, but it kind of blows my mind that when you look at it all, it's, it's all based on random data, right? It's all based on some random block hash or maybe it's a, you know, chain link VRF uh, or something. But, you know, if you can create art based on data, why would you choose garbage data to create it based on, right? Why not create something that actually has meaning? Um, and so, you know, that more than anything was sort of the initial spark between, uh, behind DGEM Blues. And then I started thinking about, okay, well, what data is out there? And you know, I, I felt that there was something kind of fun and subversive about the idea of using um, Ethereum price data. You know, there's, there's all these price feeds out there that were created for um, for DeFi use cases, right? And I thought there was something kind of kind of like 
fun about um, taking a, a piece of technology or a data feed that was created for people to make money and for DeFi and using it to make music. Um, that that kind of like appealed to me. So I guess that was sort of the the spark. Yeah, Andy, that's awesome. I, I think this would be like a good um, moment to like take a step back for people who may not even know about NFTs that well. So like at a high level, how, how would you explain what DGEN Blues is? Yeah, yeah, totally. So DGEN Blues is a smart contract. Um, and a lot of NFTs are based on sort of stock off-the-shelf smart contracts. Um, but I think the most interesting ones have their own smart contract code that's part of the art, right? And so DGEN Blues is its own smart contract that I wrote that creates a new musical NFT every 24 hours uh, based on the movements of ETH prices over the previous day. And so um, <clears throat> the price data is fully on-chain. Um, so, you know, every 24 hours, essentially, the smart contract will... Um, grab the data from on-chain, and then compose a six-second snippet of robot music. Uh, and, and the music is composed entirely in code, uh, synthesized entirely in code. So there's no wave files. There's no MP3 files that come anywhere near it. It's just entirely oscillators and filters um, between, uh, you know, in Solidity and JavaScript. And then, um, you know, that six-second snippet of robot music, though, uh, that's generated from that price data, it kind of represents a day in the history of Ethereum. And part of what's fun about that is when you mint a DGen Blues NFT, you get to decide which day you pick. Uh, and then, you know, you can browse the entire collection at DGenBlues.xyz. Uh, you can listen to all of them. Um, and then if it hasn't been minted already, you can mint that one day and you're the only owner of that day in kind of uh, blockchain history. And so... Um, Actually, I can I can play a little snippet um, if we want to try the audio setup again. Does that sound good? Yeah, yeah go for it. it. Yeah, play. So I apologize for the shop there, but, but um, that, was that was a string, a string of about five, five days back to back to back in September 2021. And so you can hear as um, as the as the prices go up, the melody goes up. As the prices go down, the melody goes down. And um, and then, you know, based on other kind of characteristics of what was going on in the market that day, there may be rare musical traits like, uh, you know, a major scale versus a minor scale or different chords that come in. And when you put all of the DGEN blues end to end, all the way from number one to uh, number 575, which just minted, it just came out an hour ago. Um, when you put them all end to end, it, it makes just about one hour of continuous robot music. That's super interesting. Um, I feel like I heard some liquidations in that little five second <laughs> clip we just heard, but no, I'm actually curious, like at what point did you start working on this project? Did this project kind of blossom as like the antithesis to like the status quo that we were, we were seeing with NFT landscapes. I feel like, you know, we just got really stagnant with the 10,000 PFP, you know, collection after collection. So I'm just curious, like when did you actually start this endeavor? Um, with yeah, the I think I 
I probably wrote my first line of code back in November or so. Um, and then, um, you know, had a couple of, uh, you know, stops and starts uh, where I was focusing on various things, you know, focusing on the engineering side for a while, focusing on the code, you know, the code versus the, the, the visual design versus the, uh, you know, the, the music. Um, but yeah, it's, it's sort of taken shape, uh, you know, since then. And, and yeah, to your other question, like, it is, you know, I, I do see it as a bit of a counterpoint to the PFP craze. I think there's, you know, there's plenty of things that are interesting about PFPs. Like, it's not necessarily, you know, the thing I get most excited about. Um, but, uh, but, but I did feel like there was, there was sort of a, 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 you know, a lot of untapped potential in NFTs as a medium. And I didn't, you know, I, I wanted to kind of, um, you know, be out there pushing the envelope of what's possible and also encouraging other people to do it, right? Like, you know, uh, success for me in this project doesn't necessarily look like um, me doing another dozen follow-up collections and having, you know, a bunch more NFT projects myself. I mean, I, I may do that. I, I probably have some more left in me, but to be honest, like I'd be way more thrilled if other folks, you know, pick up the torch and say like, hey, actually data-driven NFTs are a thing and, uh, you know, we want to explore that kind of uh, gray area between data viz and art and explore creating NFTs that can react to the world around them, whether it's, you know, not necessarily ETH price data. It might be, uh, you know, a, a, a visual NFT that's painted in real time as the COVID genome evolves, right? Or it could be a piece of music that captures like the changes in greenhouse uh, gas data levels, right? Like, I think there's so many amazing things out there that artists could be making. Um, and, you know, and, and I'm excited to kind of like be uh, helping, helping instigate that, that as a movement. Yeah. And I'm actually like, what, where are you drawing the inspiration from, from like the music side? Do you have a music background or like what, what kind of gravitates your, you towards that? Yeah. You know, I do, uh, you know, I, I, I've been into music. I've I played piano my whole life, played, played jazz piano especially. Um, but, uh, you know, my, my primary, you know, I guess design principle in creating this project has been sort of to express the data the way that it wants to be expressed. If that, it sounds kind of weird, but, like, I didn't want to put too much human judgment uh, in the way of, in the way between the data and like, you know, what you experience as, as, you know, consuming the NFT. And so it just kind of made sense to me, obviously it was biased by my personal background, but it, it kind of made sense to me that Ethereum, you know, if, if you're trying to um, create art out of price data, that just music is a natural way to do it, right? It's something that goes up and down over time, just like a melody. Um, you know, it made a lot of sense for jazz to be the inspiration behind it because, uh, you know, jazz is an improvisational art form. And um, so the idea of a robot being able to improvise jazz, you know, didn't seem that crazy, right? Um, and, uh, and then, you know, a lot of the other sort of musical and artistic decisions flowed out of the requirements of the data and some of the challenges that it posed and the problems that I had to solve there, right? Um, so the particular musical scales that, that sounded good to snap those notes to, for example, or the fact that there's... Um, there's 24 musical notes. Uh, you know, each each snippet of music consists of 24 eighth notes, 
And I chose that because there's one for each hour of musical data, right, in the day. And so that's why it's kind of three measures, you know, uh, 24 um, times an eighth note for each, um, for, for each snippet. So I, you know, does that make sense? I've tried to like not impose too many of my own tastes on it and just try to like do what makes sense based on the, the data. Yeah, no, that, that totally makes sense. You, you do lose me at the notes and talking about that. I'm not, <laughs> I've taken zero musical classes over the lifetime. Um, but yeah, from like a objective standpoint, I, yeah, I follow you. Well, just to, to geek out on the music a little bit, and, and hopefully this isn't too, uh, you know, dense or too opaque, but I think it's, you know, it, it gives you a little peek into some of the fun problems that I had to solve with this project, um, where, you know, one of the obvious problems if you're trying to map price data to musical notes is, you know, musical notes only sound good within a certain frequency range, right? You know, that the human ear can hear and, and recognize as music. Um, but price data can keep going up and up and up and up. So how do you create an algorithm that can map price data to musical notes that sounds just as good when ETH is at 400 or 4,000 or 40,000 um, and yet still kind of has, has enough uh, dynamic range on a day-to-day -day basis? And so I had to solve some kind of fun problems there. Um, for, that particular one, for that particular problem, there's a, there's a fun uh, auditory illusion called the shepherd tone. That's actually, you'll, you'll hear it in a lot of Christopher Nolan's movies, like Dunkirk uses it a lot on their soundtrack, where um, they call it an auditory barber pole because it's a kind of way to trick the ear into making it sound like a note is continuing to go up and up and up and up. But in fact, kind of sneakily, you're, you're fading in a lower note an octave below and then a lower note an octave below that. So you're actually keeping the music within the same frequency range while it appears to continue ascending forever. So, you know, that's just one example. Um, you can, you know, anyone can Google shepherd tone illusion and, and, and here's some fun examples of it. But, um, you know, that, that wasn't like, I didn't set out to be like, oh, I'm gonna make an NFT collection based on the shepherd tone because that's like the sick, you know, sound. It was really like, how do we solve this problem in terms of mapping between data and music? Hey Andy, I think that all of that, what you just said is super cool. And something I'm like super interested in with Deaton's Blues, like say when ETH, you know, has its rally again, and just a full day of going up, 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 up. I'm uh, excited to see how the NFT comes out. And that might be the one that I meant. Um, yeah, totally. Well, you know, and just, just, just to like riff on that, I mean, one of the really fun things about um, this project so far is I would say that it's like robot created, but human curated, right? So the robot is just out there kind of blindly making music every day. And, you know, some of the notes sound a little bit off, right? As you'd expect from robots trying to make music. And then some of the other ones like actually sound really catchy. And so we rely on the, you know, the, the humans who are minting NFTs, like as, as part of the creation of the project, right? It's like, you know, which sounds people, you know, vibe with and decide to mint is actually kind of part of the art. Um, and, and likewise, you know, some people are not choosing it just based on the sounds or just based on the rare traits that I mentioned earlier. It might be for sentimental reasons also, right? Like, you know, a lot of people are minting their birthdays or their kid's birthday or whatever. I know I, I made sure to snag my own birthday. Uh, but also, you know, people are, uh, are minting significant days in the market, right? So, you know, uh, someone else who minted a DJ, DJ Blues, they were really happy because they had snagged the ETH all-time high, 
right? And of course, that might not be the all-time high forever, hopefully, but uh, but that was like a significant day to him. And so it's just, it's been fun to see as a creator of this project, other people kind of um, find their own meaning in it. Yeah, it has that like relationship aspect, right? With, uh, you could say the market or NFTs in general. Um, that's a good idea. I'm going to have to snag my birthday and <laughs> some <laughs> other ones. Uh, I didn't even think about that. But um, so moving on to the question I wanted to ask you, just for the users that are listening, whether it's on Spotify or YouTube, and they don't know what Chainlink is or, you know, what it does. Could you explain why you decided to use Chainlink price feeds to help you um, dynamically generate your NFT collection? Yeah, yeah, totally. So, you know, I think Chainlink is is, is a really, you know, one of the more interesting pieces of the Web3 tech stack. Um, so Chainlink is a technology for, essentially bridging between data that comes from, you know, off chain, right? Like web two and just like the real world at large to on chain data, right? So if you think about the blockchain and smart contracts that live in the blockchain, it's kind of its own little hermetically sealed universe. You can't just normally uh, from a smart contract query, you know, a Google weather API or a price data API or you know, get some um, CDC data about the number of COVID cases, right? There's all this great data out there in Web2 that's accessible via, you know, freely available public APIs, but smart contracts do not naturally have access to that because the blockchain is its own kind of self-contained universe, right? And so Chainlink is a technology that um, that bridges, a, bridges those two worlds that allows smart contracts to access data from the outside world. And so that's uh, that's what I'm using to access the ETH price data um, on DGEN Blues. Um, the DGEN Blues smart contract, you know, uses Chainlink to get that data. And um, and and what's what's cool about that? What's cool about kind of magical about smart contracts in general is, you know, the DGEN Blues smart contract is out there. It's been deployed. Uh, you know, I've I've set it loose in the world. And now even if I'm dead and gone, you know, that thing is going to continue to crank out music as long as the underlying Chainlink um, price speed continues supplying new data. So uh, it's kind of on autopilot now. That's um that's like one of the things that I find is really interesting about um, Chainlink and NFTs and putting it on the blockchain as well is you kind of submit yourself there for eternity, right? Or as long as the blockchain exists uh, and like price speeds exist. So like now you have yourself as Andy and yourself as DJ Blues kind of cemented into this ecosystem for history and that I, I find that really interesting um personally oh yeah totally i mean you know i actually sometimes feel sad that you know as a designer working in web 2 you build stuff you you know you pour your heart and soul into it and then you know other than sort of google images there's not really any permanent record of what you did right like the work that i did on street view you know over 10 years ago uh, it's, you know, like Street View still exists as a product is great. I'm, I'm really proud of it. And designers that came after me have done, have done incredible work, but it's not really like there's a permanent record of exactly what I built. Right. It's such a, uh, you know, a, a, you know, sort of, um, I don't know, transient medium. Right. And so that permanence, I do think there's, there's still like amazing art projects yet to be made that just play on that idea of the permanence of the blockchain. Cause I do think that's super exciting. Yeah, I can totally agree with you. And also, you know, huge congratulations on, on building Google Street View and, 
and Uber Eats as well. Um, I just lost my train of thought. Oh yeah, there, we've only dipped like our toe in the water, right? When it comes to what's been created and what's been built in this space. So I think like as we go, this is really just the beginning for like music NFTs and dynamic NFTs. And so, like you said, I'm I'm excited to see what what else is built as well. Um, and more on the the coding side. Can you explain to the audience what DGen Fetcher is and how it plays a role in generating these NFTs? Oh yeah, totally. So, um, so DGen Fetcher, you know, the, the DGen Blues NFT collection kind of consists of two main components. There's the DGen Blues, actually, I'll say three components. There's the renderer, which is not on chain; it's hosted on Arweave, so you know it's permanent because it's on Arweave. But it's a chunk of maybe 500k of JavaScript that actually. Um, you know, takes the price data and generates the music and visuals. And so that is, you know, distinct to DGen Blues. I don't expect it to be particularly reusable for other folks. And then there's the DGen Blues smart contract, um, which is, you know, what, what interfaces with that render. But then there's a third component that I, that I intentionally tried to code in a way for it to be maximally reusable for other NFT creators. And, and I called that DGen Fetcher. And what that is, is I've, I've sort of um, contained all of the, the, the price fetching code, or actually just the data fetching code generally, generally that um, can, uh, can grab data from a chain link data feed. So essentially what you do is, is you, you ask it, hey, give me all the data from the historical data for January 1st, 2021 to January 3rd, 2021 at one hour intervals of XYZ chain link data feed, which in, in my case is the Ethereum USD price feed, right? And then Dijon Fetcher will go do a binary search through all the underlying chain link data, um, which you know is super cool that I can do on top of chain link. Chain link wasn't necessarily designed to support that super easily. And so I built Dijon Fetcher as sort of a, you know, a little bit of a, a helper to make that easier to do. And then it will give you like a nice clean array of just the, you know, the data for the time period that you wanted. And so, um, so, so my reason for open sourcing that, so you can, you know, anyone can, can fork it on GitHub and, and check it out and also just, uh, you know, use the DGen Fetcher contract that's deployed on mainnet. So I don't want other people to have to pay the like horrendous gas fees that I paid to get that out there. Um, so anyone could do that. So, you know, another artist can, who's building a, NFT collection that wants to make use of historical chain link data can just point to that and they don't have to uh, reinvent the wheel. Perfect. That, that was actually my next question is like, where could developers find it and could they use it? So that, that's awesome that you answered that. Um, I guess my last question before I pass it back off to Chase is, did you have any trouble integrating VRFV2 or did everything go smoothly? What was kind of the integration process? Huh, that's a funny question. I don't use VRF at all, actually. Uh, so I actually, uh, it's, sort of a point of pride that there's zero randomness involved in DGen Blues at all. It's entirely, the only randomness is what the market data provides. So I don't use VRF V2. I only use um, the, uh, the chain like price feeds. That makes sense now that I'm speaking out loud. <laughs> but, okay, awesome. Thank you. Hey, Andy, I'm just curious. What does, like, the product iteration look like um, versus, like, you know, Web 2 versus Web 3? And just kind of like on that same topic, you know, what, what can we expect from DJ and Blues as you grow and expand the scope or, or is that even within your, your playbook currently? 
Yeah, you know, I really see DGEN Blues as a, you know, an art and collectible project. So I think the value of it is more in owning an innovative project that's sort of the first of its kind and will hopefully inspire more collections to come um, rather than necessarily wanting to like promise a big roadmap with a lot of, you know, utility that people love to talk about these days, which I think is like stretching the stretching the word utility a little bit. But um but but uh, but but you asked about kind of the the product development process also or the iterative process is that right? Yes. Yeah. So you know, it's it's been interesting because it's um, you know sometimes working in solidity is a little bit like you know trying to like create an oil painting with like you know oven mitts on right. It, it feels pretty cumbersome a lot of the time and the debugging process is super painful. And, you know, if you, uh, if you, you know, um, if a smart contract isn't quite working the way you expect, even just to do another, you know, compile and deploy to text test net is another like, you know, five minute iteration or something like that sometimes. And so um, it's definitely, you know, you, you, you get the feeling that you're in the early days of, of, of the, you know, tool chain and, uh, you know, you kind of have to be willing to fight through some pain if you want to do something innovative here for sure. Yeah. So like speaking of innovation and staying on the topic of dynamic NFTs, what, what do you think will be like a large narrative in the coming years or even year with dynamic NFTs? Yeah. Well, you know, I don't know how long it's going to take. I, I don't know what the timing will be. But to me, it seems unimaginable. This sounds a little crazy, but I think actually NFTs that uh, are dynamic are going to be a bigger category than NFTs that are not dynamic. Like if we look, you know, five, 10 years out, right? Because it's just like, why would you, if you can create art that continues to evolve after it's made and that it, it responds to the world around it in some ways, like why would you not? Like why, why would you just create art that... Um, you know, that, that just kind of sits there and it is the same, um, you know, every time you look at it. So, so to me, you know, it's just inevitable that sooner or later it will be a huge category. Yeah, no, I'm completely right there with you. Um, the way I look at NFTs for the most part right now, it's kind of the pre-internet era of this, you know, di digital representation. Um, and I think as we, adopt more and more dynamic nfts i think we're just going to have kind of really like mind-bending use cases and kind of on that same topic i'm curious like are there any use cases that that are not being discussed um, currently that you've thought about when it comes to dynamic nfts yeah you know i i mentioned like i think um you know these these societal like like i think the COVID pandemic is fascinating as a topic for art because it's been sort of, it's this thing we all lived it through, right? But it's been sort of like, I don't know, almost like underexplored in the art world. It's almost like it, it didn't happen in, in many cases. But it's this phenomenon that unfolds over multiple years slowly and you don't know what's going to happen. And it's got all these nuances to it and all this, you know, complexity and like, you know, with vaccination rates and different types of vaccinations and different strains like, you know, Omicron and Delta and, um, and, and, and yet it's real lives. Right. So it's like this combination of like, you know, hard data, but like real human lives in the balance. And so to me, like, I don't know, I, 
I, I haven't come up with it yet. And, uh, you know, if someone else beats me to it, that'd be amazing. I'd be thrilled. Um, but that to me is just like a really compelling piece, like waiting to be, waiting to be created. Uh, I think that one's exciting. I, I think, you know, climate also is another one where I think you've got uh, a, um, you know, a process that's so um, huge in its scope but it's very abstract and, you know, the, the effects of climate change are so hard for people to wrap their heads around. And so I think that it would be actually, it could actually be really important and influential and make a, an impact on people's understanding of climate change. If there was a piece of art that could, you know, make it more, um, make it more concrete and make it more visceral. Yeah. Yeah. I can almost see like some sort of like watercolor painting that's like, dynamic and and free moving with like the weather you know something something like that that's on like a massive screen totally yeah yeah hey andy i'm i'm kind of curious like are there other like outside of dj and blues are you following any other nft projects like are there other other projects that have like caught your attention that you were like oh my god like this is super innovative why didn't i think of that that type of thing or um or just projects in general that you that you enjoy yeah, you know, um, it's going to be kind of all over the map. There's a bunch of them. I mean, you know, like, I guess starting like from the from the earlier days, I mean, I think Fidenza is like the, one of the first ones that just like completely, you know, blew my mind in terms of like, wow, this is generative art, but it looks like it belongs in a museum, like it's really that good. And so uh, that was a really, real inspiration and kind of opened my eyes to like, okay, this could be like serious artists are working in this medium. Um, I think, you know, I think some really cool stuff is getting, being done uh, right now with generative music. So, um, block tunes is a project that I've been following that I think is super cool. Um, OMG Kirby is, is one that came out a little while ago. And, you know, those are both taking, you know, if, if DJ blues is sort of the fully robotic music, um, version of, of generative music, I'd say like those two projects are sort of more the. The, the generative music equivalent of like, you know, uh, layering um, assets in a PFP, except you're laying, layering audio assets. And so, um, you know, it actually takes a lot of like skill and cleverness to be able to do that in a way that creates really incredible music. And I think those two projects, you know, are, are, are exploring a very interesting sweet spot, you know, between like, it's unpredictable and it's new because it's generative, but it also just sounds like really, really good as music. And so, so those are both super cool. Um, and then uh, la last one I like I'll mention is um, chippies, I think are super cool. I don't know if you're familiar. It's like um, these fun, like hand-drawn PFP avatars, but Perchy is a creator of chippy. Um, you know, he, he does them on a commission model, which to me is just like so obvious that I don't know why, like, you know, hundreds of NFT artists aren't doing this, but I think the commission model is yeah, of art is like something that's, um, that's, that's like close to my heart. I've done it in the past before I was into NFTs, but just as a, as a fundraiser one time doing like digital art on commission and people would pick the subject and, you know, Perchy is doing something similar where you can pick kind of the subject or, you know, pick what characteristics you want your chippy to have. So like, I want mine to have like silver headphones or someone else wants theirs to have a, you know, have a beard or whatever. Um, and, and then he'll draw like a custom one for you. Um, and, uh, you know, it's not gonna, 
I mean, to me, that's an NFT that I'm never, ever going to sell, right? Because it's like me and it was made just for me. Um, and, and that's super cool. Um, I think, you know, that to me is like a, a PFP project that has a little more heart than your standard kind of like 1,000 or 10,000 drop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very true. Like a lot of the times I just couldn't get my head around like any of the 10,000 like robotic projects. Like I, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't uh, like, get myself like involved in them. I just, it just didn't really connect too much with the art, like you were saying. And they're just kind of generic. And a lot of them are more, more so just pump and dumps, you know? Um, yeah. And some of them do have really strong communities, which I think, you know, if those communities really gravitate to the project and really continue to build it, it could, it could be almost like a long lasting club. So, um, but yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, but no, it's cool. I've I've seen some people like I met up with people who were like board ape holders and stuff, and um, you know they really connect just by having this NFT. So I do I do think that there is something there, um, you know, with for, with the community aspect. But we'll see like if it's like a long term thing or if it's just kind of like a fad, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think the community thing is real. I mean, and uh, you know, I've been really really pleased to see how we've developed a, a nice, you know, very, very authentic, very like cool community around DGen Blues, particularly of builders, right? So it's like, you know, a really good crew of, of folks on there who are interested in building cutting edge stuff, like both, you know, artists who want to learn the technology more or technologists who have their own things that they're working on. And, um, and that's been really fun, like, you know, have DGen Blues as a as a, as a kind of vehicle for like beating other creators that are doing super cool stuff. Cause to be honest, I don't, I haven't found a ton of like, um, you know, I, I think there's a bit of a vacuum in terms of gathering places for NFT builders and NFT collectors who are really interested in like, you know, pushing the bounds of the technology. Um, so yeah, so that's been cool. But, but to your overall point about just NFTs and community, I mean, I think, yeah, I think all of these use cases are legit for NFTs, right? I think the PFP and like community use case is legit. I think people, you know, for centuries have always bought things partially as a way to represent who they are. And like, you know, whether it's showing off the art on my walls in my house or what's on my bookshelf or, you know, the clothes that I wear or stickers that are on my lunchbox as a kid, right? Like people always use that stuff to um, to show off kind of who they are and what they stand for. And I think as more of our um, our lives have migrated online and more of our important social relationships have, uh, you know, have, have, uh, have migrated online too. I mean, way more people see what NFTs are on my wallet than see what art is on the walls of my house. So it kind of only makes sense that people's, um, you know, spending and that people's emotional energy would kind of follow where they're, where they're spending their time. Chase, I, I saw you raise your hand. I didn't know if you had a question. Oh, uh, no, I was waving earlier. Um, I had made that joke about the huddle. That's all. No. <laughs> You're talking about the, the <laughs> NFT collections. <laughs> um, Andy, my last question for you is like, if this project, DJ and Blues, was displayed in a museum, like, how would you envision it being displayed? Uh, I have no idea. Uh, I've never even considered that. Uh, you know, I guess you just put it on loop, right? Like, uh, well, no, you know, I, 
I have so there's this there's this um, token ID zero. Uh, there's one NFT in the DGen Blues collection that's sort of an Easter egg, and um, and it's I call it Edition Zero, but it's a it's a DGen Blues that's not associated with any particular date. It's kind of like the the always the current DGen Blues, and anytime you refresh it, you'll get a song that represents the last 48 hours of data. So I think if it were in a museum, I would want DGen Blues. It would just be a DJ blues that was playing in real time speed. So instead of, you know, instead of like uh, six seconds for every 24 hours, it would literally be 24 hours for every 24 hours. And maybe it would just play a single note once an hour, you know, or maybe it would play a single note every minute based on the ETH price, but it would be completely real time. So you could actually hear what the, what the market was doing, like as you stand there. <laughs> That could be cool, man. You should you should totally try and do it. Because um, when we went to eat Denver, all of us like they had some in person displays of like digital art and NFTs. And before that, I was like, oh, like are people actually going to display this in a museum? Like, is this is this real? But then they had you know full mock up screens like surrounded by like traditional frames. Or um, one of the displays actually was like these huge rectangle screens, and then in front of it was were these stands. And on the screen was a 3D model. And if you held out your, your hand in front of the stand, you could like move and like manipulate the model. It's like a super cool interactive experience. And it really turned me on to being like, oh, like this stuff is going to be in museums for sure. You know, in-person events, et cetera. Yeah, I think that's cool. I mean, you know, I, I love like NFTs being in museums as a, <clears throat> I love what it represents in terms of like the medium gaining kind of, um, I don't know, respect. But at the same time, like, you know, NFTs don't really need to be in museums, right? I mean, way, way more people can experience NFTs in their native, you know, in their native habitat on the blockchain than could possibly fit inside a museum. Um, and, you know, it, it reminds me a bit like Google back in the day did this initiative called, it's called Google Cultural Initiative or something, where they were sending Street View um, hardware through various famous museums to sort of like index the collection. So you could, you know, be transported virtually into a museum and walk around. But then I'm kind of like, it, it always seemed kind of ridiculous to me because it's like, why would I look at a postage stamp sized Mona Lisa, you know, like on my computer, like, why would I look at on the, my computer screen, a picture of the Louvre, you know, gallery with a, a bunch of people standing there with a tiny postage stamp Mona Lisa in the middle of my screen when I can look at the Mona Lisa on Google Images that's the full size of my screen and appreciate it so much better. So I think there, I think there's probably a bit of a, a fixation on like museums and seeing things in physical space. And I see that reinventing itself with some of the like, you know, metaverse gallery stuff in Web3 that I don't quite like get, you know. Um, it all reminds me a bit of like, what people thought the internet would be like in the early nineties where they thought it was going to be like you put on your goggles and then you go into a library and you rifle through a, a card catalog to get something right. It's just like this kind of weird, old, weird mashup of old and new, if that makes sense. Yeah, that, no, I totally get where you're going with that analogy. Um, I'm actually curious. This is a kind of like switching gears on topic, but uh, could you kind of touch on how are we plays a part within your, your solution? Oh yeah, totally. So uh, you know, there's there's some uh, NFT projects that, um, you know, do all of the rendering of the art, art or music fully on chain in the smart contract, fully in Solidity. And, you know, 
for the folks that uh, that do that, like you know, God bless them. It's like really, really cumbersome to work in solidity, and and it's very constraining from an artistic point of view. Uh, but you do get a level of permanence that's really cool with solidity, where when you buy you know, with, with everything beyond Shane, um, where when you buy the NFT, you can be completely sure that it will still be there, you know, till the end of time, as long as the blockchain is around, right? And so um, a lot of other NFT projects kind of rely on IPFS um, or, you know, the worst case scenario is, is NFT projects that, that kind of point to external web servers for their media assets. But that's not really that's not really done anymore. I think everyone knows that's a terrible idea. But um, but to me, you know, with with IPFS, uh, you know, that's one way to host things off, um, you know, host assets off chain that an NFT can point to. But it's still sort of, you know, vulnerable to data getting garbage collected, and I think the degree of permanence that you get with IPFS is not quite, um, not quite as good. And so, to me, Arweave was kind of the best of all worlds, where you get a similar level of, you know, guarantee of permanence as if it was actually on chain, um, but it opens you up to use a much wider range of sort of artistic tools, right? So, um, so in the case of DGen Blues. The renderer that I talked about um, is essentially like a half a meg JavaScript pr JavaScript program. That's where a lot of the um, the magic happens in terms of like uh, the audio and the visual rendering. Um, and there's a lot of stuff in there that I couldn't possibly do in Solidity, right? It would just not be practical to try to contain all of that in the smart contract, where the the the, the memory limitations are so much um, you know so much more limited. And so, um, so yeah, so so Arweave gave me a way to you know get that level of permanence while having a lot more kind of artistic expressiveness. Very based, um, Andy. Near the end of these, we sometimes allow audience members to come on. We want to see if anyone has a question for you, and we can bring them up. Yeah, let's do it. Hey guys, I recognize. I see Darb down there. If anyone has a question. Just come up. You can hit the request. Don't be shy. We'll give it a few seconds to, to see if anyone's interested. But in the meantime, Andy, just really appreciate you taking the time to come out and speak to us tonight. It's been uh, really based. Yeah, great to be here. Yeah, second to what Mieter said. I need some, sometimes I need some waiting music, but <laughs> I play a little DJ blues. I got you. It could, yeah. it could either be uh, oh, nice. <laughs> Let's go. Oh, dark yeah, works. I was actually going to say, Andy. I know you're kind of um, short on you know museums and stuff like that in the metaverse and just in general when it comes to NFTs. But I could totally see this being like the uh, intro lobby music to like an NFT gallery. <laughs> Like you just have this like large screen like in the front door that just like you see the notes playing and it just has this like nice vibe as like an intro welcoming like music. It's uh yeah, I could totally see that playing out with this. It's Similar funny. to what Mewtwo was talking about in Denver. When I, when I heard it just now, I got very strong like hold music vibes on like a support line or something too. So, you know, it's like if you ever have like a 1-800 number like NFT customer support, please hold. And then the NFT, the DJ Blues kicks in. Welcome to the stage, Darb. What's going on, guys? Um, I was wondering, have you considered or 
thought about like how derivative projects using de- uh, DGEM Blues would look or uh, kind of has that crossed your mind before? Yeah, I mean, I think there's different kinds of derivatives, right? Like it would be pretty easy to port this to other chains um, and, you know, other assets, right? So you could have, um, you know, music based on link price or something like that. Um, but then, you know, more broadly speaking, I think what's, what's you know, more exciting than that would be, you know, projects that have that are bringing new types of data on chain. And to me, that's actually kind of like the next frontier that I'm, I'm interested in um, and, and hope other people will explore also is like, you know, uh, using Chainlink or, you know, whatever technology to basically pull in new types of data that aren't on chain yet and like, um, and create cool things out of those. But um, I don't know, did that answer your question or was there something more specific that you had in mind in terms of derivative projects? No, I was just kind of wondering what you kind of had like in mind or uh, at least what you've kind of thought about. Um, I think what you, you're doing over there is pretty cool. And I messaged the other guys in the base space about how I wanted to go peep your uh, smart contract uh, later just because I'm interested to see how you put this all together. Um, great work and appreciate your time for coming on here. Yeah, well, like I said earlier, you know, hit me up in the in the DGEM Blues Discord. We've got a workshop channel there. We have a lot of builders and people who like to geek out on the smart contracts and talk about what other cool uh, data-driven NFT stuff we could build. So I would love to see you there. Cool, man. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll reach out. Very cool. Thanks again, Andy, for coming on. We appreciate it, man. Yeah, well, great talking to you all. Have a good day. Yep. Thanks, Andy. Everybody stay base. Stay big. Take care. Thanks for your time. Based space.